What's going on, y'all? Welcome into Cast the Podcast. Ronnie Moore here with my man Kyle Jesse, and we are doing an episode recapping the Lake Fork Bassmaster Elite Series event. What a week we had there. So many awesome storylines, and it was capped off with the best day of Bassmaster Live possible on Championship Sunday. Kyle, you were at the event. You've been to Lake Fork before, but you were at the event covering covering the tournament, and you got to go out with the leader, Brandon Card. I've been in that position where I've had to cover the leader either on the final day, and you're like, hey, all of my photography dreams could come true today. You got magazine covers. You got the best gallery on the website. I got to get my photos, and I got to make sure I take them well. And uh, I know you were excited about that. It didn't work out that way, but how was your week at the event? Obviously covering it, uh, just so many big bats. You don't know you're going to take a photo of a 10-pounder at any point. I was, I was actually going through my photos last night, picking some to put on social, and it made me realize that every single guy that I got to cover, which the majority was Brandon Card for two and a half, three days, but every single guy that I got to cover either caught fish or like I saw them catch a big fish. I mean, it was, it, everybody was catching them. Even if you weren't catching them up to par of what everybody else was, it was just crazy. And, you know, you could go down the bank. Um, on the first day, we covered some guys fishing, you know, back in some pockets. I didn't even have my sunglasses on because of uh, the low light. And you could just go down the bank and just see fish on beds every like 20, 30 yards. It was just like, these guys are going to smash them. So that's what I wanted to kick it off with was, it's a four-day event after three days of practice, and it is Texas in the spring. A lot of different changes, but let's rewind it a few months to Valentine's Day time period. The I guess the human spawn, not the bass spawn. I'm just I'm just kidding. But back in February in Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, we had 15 inches of snow. They had record freezing temperatures lakes in texas froze over stuff never happens there pipes busting communities devastated with just the situation of the freezing so i had a conversation with an angler and, and we were saying how this could be good for the fishing because it's gonna kill off a lot of bait fish those bass were going to feed up on them and be really full and healthy and big going into the pre-spawn from the winter and then going into the bass spawn they're going to just be the biggest they've ever been and what it also does is it backs up all of those different transition points and, and kind of merge them together. Instead of a half a wave going up in March and then you got another one late March and you got some in April and a full moon in May and fish are still doing it. Instead of spawning for two or three months, they can move up and spawn kind of a big flurry all at once. And then they're going to all move off for the shad spawn and they're all going to move offshore at the same time. So there's going to be big groups of fish on the lake doing the same thing. But then fast forward to this event, and it seemed like the window of opportunity to catch a big bag off the bed was Monday, Tuesday of practice. And then it started to change. Fish started pulling off the bed and finishing up. And, and so what was it like, the vibe at takeoff day one, the anticipation obviously of people wanting to catch big, big fish, but that spawn deal kind of started to go away a little bit. We only saw three or four guys on the final day really get to sight fish and really two did it primarily the whole time. Yeah. And, and that's a good point because Monday it was really sunny um, towards the end of the day. The, like I said, first thing in the morning when I, we got out there um, you know, it wasn't super sunny and it was actually pretty cold um, you know, relative for the time of the year and um, you know, to, for it to be in Texas pretty chilly so i mean i think leading up to the event you know like you said maybe some of those fish would have pulled off but um you know that morning towards the afternoon that's primarily what we covered was guys 
fishing for spawning fish. Um, obviously that's really volatile, volatile because you run out of fish. I mean, it happens all the time in spawning events, but that first day watching those guys rotate, I got to watch Stetson Blaylock, Daryl Gleason, uh, Josh Strassner, guys that did really well, uh, sight fishing the first couple of days. Um, you know, there was just so many fish and you could tell they had a lot marked. Everything seemed like it would, it would hold up, but like, you know, a lot of events on Lake Fork, obviously offshore bites going to play and, you know, when I say offshore, it's not like you're deep cranking in 20 foot of water. Some of those guys are fishing offshore in just a few foot of water, but a lot of those fish, you know, you know, you heard Zaldane talk about it a lot. There was fish in all sorts, all phases, phases of the spawn. So doing something like he did or like Lee Livesey ended up doing, you could catch those fish coming, catch those fish moving out and they weren't super deep. So um, as we're, you know, prior to that event, you and I really expected it to be a blowout of shallow sight fishing. Obviously, it had the makings of that, and we saw that on day one. But like you said, over the course of uh, four days, like you said, there was only a couple guys on the final day that were still sight fishing. Yeah, and the weather that rolled through Friday on day two of the event, obviously the day was shortened because it was expected to hit around the last couple of flights checking in. They moved it up an hour or so. And then it, it was kind of a little bit delayed, like it maybe was about an hour after weigh-in would have been been going on. So it, it rolled in a little later. Sure. They maybe have done a full full day instead of losing an hour, but you want to be safe and not have half the field out there when hail and, and really strong winds come in. But what was the storm like on Friday night? Because it seemed that the guys who sight fished on day one, and what's crazy is that pre-front fishing is unreal. It's some of the best fishing when that front's starting to roll in and you can catch them really good. Yet, and, and we saw some of the biggest bags and the biggest bag of the tournament leading up to the final day. Taku Ito caught, Ito caught 33-3. We saw a 9-13 from Clifford Perch, I believe. And we saw a couple other big bags come across. But for our guys, Livesey and Walters struggled. And they were doing a pattern that would be a good pattern for prefrontal conditions Sure, in, in shallow timber or <clears throat> fish ends of points, uh, top water, big swim baits around those shad spawn and those staging areas. It's, it's like it hurt them, even though the prefront should help them. And then we had the chance to see the biggest fish and the biggest weight of the week. But you know, uh, everything else sucked. It was weird. Like the, you know, and so day two was by far, it was weird. It was the worst limit percentage day of the field, but we saw the biggest bag and the biggest bass, yet the cut dropped five pounds. You know, it was just so many different things. And so what did that weather do on Friday that really made it the toughest day of the event? You know, it's, it's hard to say because what you said is spot on with the fact that, you know, prefrontal conditions, you don't necessarily think of like, oh, the sight fish are going to bite better. I mean, that doesn't necessarily make sense. And not to say they did, but you know, the things that Livesey were doing, you know, Livesey, Walters, Zaldane, a lot of those guys were doing, that's the kind of thing traditionally you would think would definitely get better pre-front. Um, I can say for sure, like I said, I'm not entirely sure. Like you said, I will, I will uh, credit the fact that they probably made the right call just being safe. Yeah. But I will say that without a doubt, it didn't come in until after uh, weigh-in time. And I think if we're being honest, it was lesser than we probably expected it was going to be. But that's one of those things. Springtime, you really can't predict it. I mean, if they're calling for big advisories and, you know, possibly really bad storms, that's not something you put 
the anglers out into the marshals. I mean, it's not, it's not what you want to be doing Honestly, with that being said. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't as bad as we might have expected, but um, yeah, as far as the fishing goes, it definitely is hard to figure. I was looking at some of the weights today, looking at the amount of guys. There's only two guys in four days that caught 20 pound bags every single day. And if you look almost every single one of them that didn't, it was on day two. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like a really, really good point. Um, I can say moving forward, though, the next day, I got to follow Austin Felix, who was obviously sight fishing, ex- you know, exclusively. Um, he was going to his areas and they were dirtied up. Um, got to talk to a handful of guys that were fishing that way. And it, it hurt them um, as where, you know, it might not have affected the Livesey's and Walters and those guys more. Because you've got water running off those shallow clay clay banks into the water but then you also have the wind direction so some of the guys right. were like oh this pocket I, I think we have Brandon Cobb on on Bassmaster Live and he's like uh this bank's dirty probably from runoff let me go to the other side of the lake to another pocket and it was dirty there and he's like is this wind direction dirty like what's the deal and so uh that was kind of weird to me that day three day two was tough and hey day two was tough for Brandon Cobb in 2019 when he had his giant week and then day three was such a big day for him. And so to see like Zaldane catch his limit late on day two, Walters barely put a limit and made like a one pound call in the last cast of the day to even have 15 pounds. Livesey only having 17. And, and I think to be honest, Livesey having 17 was his best. That was the, for the best because we'll explain it on the Mercury move, the tournament on Bassmaster social medias and stuff. After day two, or at the end of day two, he made a little bit of a move to Little Caney, and then uh, and then that's where he ended up hunkering down the rest of the event, Saturday and Sunday. Whereas if he would have caught him well in his other area, he might not have spent as much time there. I'm not doubting his knowledge of the lake. He knows the most. But uh, that tougher day two definitely was like, if I'm going to want to catch up and adjust, I got to catch him on day three. And so he went to some places that he thought he could, and so it worked out. But, sure. yeah, prefrontal – uh, like only two, only three guys really caught him great. And it was Taku, Card, and Capo. And they were up near the top. And then all the other guys, Zaldane, Livesey, and Walters really had to make up the deficit on day three and then do it once more on day four. And they did in a big way. But it was very confusing to me why prefrontal storm conditions hurt the moving bait guys mm-hmm. compared to the guys who were fishing for spawn and fish that might lock, lock down even more because they're not in a feeding mode to begin with. They're not like, oh, the front's coming. I need to feed up. They're like, oh, the front's coming. I got to kill this bluegill that's on my bed. You know, <laughs> like they're, it's the same the same approach for them. Yeah, that, that's that's a good point. And like I said, when you think of prefrontal days, like we've mentioned, you don't naturally think like, oh, I'm going to go look at them on beds. And that's like, that's going to be the deal. You know, I, I can't say this with any confidence, but maybe it makes them lock on harder, like makes them more aggressive when you fish for them. Um, but yeah, naturally, like you said, it, it's not what you think would have been the case. And it was, um, which, yeah, it's a hard one to explain. I wish I could explain it, but even seeing it in person, I don't have an answer for it. I got to watch card on the second day and that was his best day well, weight wise. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Well, so as, as far as I'm concerned, I didn't, uh, I didn't see a drop off in, uh, in productivity, but you know, some of the guys that ended up being the biggest factors on the final day, yeah, they, their productivity dropped off big time. Now, I love Brandon Card. Um, he's a good dude, and he's always been nice to me, and we've shot videos, but if he watches this and he's still watching at this point in the video, um, 
I, I didn't think he was going to win you on the final day. And, and so Fork is a great pattern lake, but it's also a great schooling, uh, a school of fish spot. Like if you find a school of fish, it could be great. No doubt. Um, and, and so for a guy like Livesey to run a, to run a, run a pattern, you know, like it's much easier for him because he's got so many areas that he knows that, that are, you know, replicate this or replicate that seeing card catch so many on day two on his spot. That's the one thing. It is a spot. It was not a pattern point to point to point. It was a spot. And then day three, it got so tough on that spot. I really did not have confidence in the final day that that spot was going to hold up compared to other guys running a pattern of swim bait, uh, fishing or top water on shad spawn points or things like that. So walk me through a little bit of that, what you saw on the lake about guys running patterns, because I know Quentin Capo had eight to 10 spots that, Patrick Walters ended up fishing. Zaldane was sharing water with him. Livesey pulled up, and there was guys, they're all within an earshot of each other. It was kind of a deal where a lot of guys were rotating the same spots, and when you pulled up, it was a timing deal because we saw Walters catch him on top water, on a swim bait, on a jerk bait, and then we saw Capo catch him on a big square bill and a top water. So a little bit different baits at times, but it's also timing. And, and I felt like card was a spot and not a, a pattern that was getting better. It was a spot that was getting worse. Sure. And uh, I think that's a good point. So let, let's just like break this down um, just in Little Caney, because I got to see a lot of it happen in there, especially the final day, uh, third day and a little bit of the second day. There was a handful of spots, let's just say five or six, that every time we would pass by, those spots would be being fished by somebody, but it was never the same person. It would be Patrick Walters on the same spot, the Livesey was on. Um, and then Brandon Card ends up fishing, you know, not necessarily the same spots, but same general areas. Um, and like you said, that's just kind of fork in general. Um, in my in my experience, like, and I said this to my boat driver, who's a big time fisherman down there. You could, you know, really tell he has a lot of knowledge of the lake. Um, what's always been funny to me fishing Lake Fork in the past is the fact that you can look on Navionics or like your Lake Master map or whatever. And you could pick a spot, like an offshore spot, and be like, this would be good. You just drive to it blind, never having fished there, and there will be a boat on. Because, like you said, there's only so many places like that. And the fish do relate to those places like they should. Um, you know, as where I feel like everybody that's fished enough lakes has those certain lakes where you're like, oh, the fish should set up on certain things, and they just don't. It's just the kind of the way they act. I, you know, I, you can't explain it. The fish there act like they should, for the most part, which is good in the sense that you can kind of target them better, but it's also bad because everybody can target them, you know, a lot easier. Um, so, yeah. And like you said, for Brandon Card, especially on the last two days, you know, I was with him the second day when he really caught him good in that one area on that point, just kind of, you know, maneuvering around in that area. But the final or the third day, you know, he had to branch out, go to the under, other end of the lake on that one extended point where he ended up catching three of his keepers. Uh, I didn't get to see it, but I figured out the final day, that's where he was fishing because we, we rotated, I say we, he, I just followed him, um, three different spots. It was his primary point, that spot across the lake, and then he fished one other spot, like the, the legendary Keith Combs spot up Little Caney. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you could tell that final day, it just seemed like, I don't know if he ran out of fish, but like you said, it was a, it was a real distinct as were none of the areas that he had otherwise other than maybe that point across the lake set up like that so you basically have two spots that you're confident uh that set up the same 
But that final day, I'll tell you what was weird is obviously the shad spawn started getting more distinct each day. Oh, and, and you could see it. So Brandon Card hadn't fished right. any water willow or any grass that we had seen. And the first 30 minutes of live, other people were catching them, so we weren't watching Card. And then we go over to Card, and literally you could see on camera. Normally you can't see shad spawn happening. You see a fish bust. You don't see the shad actually spawning. There were so many shad on little pieces of water willow i was like you can't even you could cast your swim jig and it would land on the surface and stay on it because there's so many shad holding it up like it was so many shad flickering that you don't normally see on a camera at the back of a boat far from a spot and so yes it was shad spawn was really going on i can attest to that seeing it in person um me and my boater when we pulled up that's the first thing we said we're like holy cow look at all the shad because we'd been there on day two now, two days prior, the same area, the same time, and you didn't see anything, like anything as far as shad, you know, shad spawning goes. And that's, that's what he mentioned to us when he was, he was idling by or he was trolling by, and he said, um, he said there's just too many of them. You can't trick them. I mean, like it was that many shad in that area. And like you not done that in previous days. I, I sit there and watched him have to tie on a swim jig because I think it became obvious to him when he pulled in there, like if they're – you know around here there's a really good chance they're up there in that grass right now um, you know and try to go up there and capitalize on that and you know all the credit in the world to him because i feel like anybody you know fishing off their instinct would see that and go do it um but like he said it was just tricky because there were so many shad that it was really hard to trick them i mean you'd see a fish bust in the grass here and there but i mean it was just like it was like they were so everywhere that you couldn't pinpoint anything and and he fished that really efficiently and effectively and just like they just they just weren't biting yeah i feel like the day one and two guys who were doing the shad spawn stuff they weren't fishing the shad spawn that was noticeable they were fishing the shad sure. spawn, the shell bars and the hard clay points where they're not they're not on something on the bank doing it like they right. were on grass or seawalls but rather they're like under the water swirling and rubbing and the the timber and whatnot but on that final day we'll get into some stats in a second because i did that on dave mercer's podcast earlier and uh and gave him a couple stats and so we'll go over that but on that final day patrick walters came to my house after the event stopped he you know he knocked out four hours of his drive before going to pickwick for the open and he told me dude i rolled up and was like what is going on on my graph? Because he was obviously looking at live scope and jerking, you know, his, his jerk bait or top water and glide bait around fish he could see, but there was a lot of distortion and he's got uh, my buddy Trent has wired his boat up with sonar pros, a harness. So you're not going to have any interference. You're not going to have any voltage drop, none of that. So it wasn't like, Oh, my graph's messing up. It was like, what is all of this weird bait or something? until he trolled up to a piece of standing timber and you could see the shad circling the base of the timber. He knew these fish aren't here because they want to suspend like they did in the fall. These fish are here because of the shad spawn. I don't need to go to that point and catch them. They're going to be doing it right here too. Mm -hmm. And so he was able to catch a couple doing that, you know, a four and a couple twos and whatnot. And then when he made the transition to the point was when he caught, you know, a nine pounder and, some other fish on top water. And that was when he got, when he got too shallow for a jerk bait, the top water came into play. So that final day, it really was. And what's weird is I never saw Lee Livesey have like a, a crazy shad spawn. 
I only saw fish schooling on the shad spawn, you know, the shad that were spawning. But I think there is a difference in the thread fin shown the the thread the thread fish. Thread fin. Thread fin spawn. There it is. Thread <laughs> fin spawn. I got it. So the thread fin spawn was what was noticeable on the bank, but the underwater spawn was the gizzard shad spawn that you couldn't necessarily see up on the bank, but they were doing their deal on those points. And so it was crazy to see live see only see like a nine pounder jump in school, but not any busting of like little shad. And so I think that was a key to why every time he set the hook, it was a dang three and a half or bigger. More isolated fish, maybe something of that nature. Um, yeah. And in three, eight pounders chasing after 27 gizzard shad instead of a bunch of two pounders trying to pin thread fin up against water willow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and let's be honest, whatever Livesey was doing on that final day was completely uh, different than what everybody else was. And that's, you know, hence the reason he caught what he did. Um, and, you know, that's something he could probably explain way better than you and I could, especially his knowledge on that lake. But, uh, but yeah, he was, he was definitely doing something different than everybody else was. So I, I talked about this on Dave's deal. I got a couple little notes written down, but, uh, What's crazy is 26-7. We knew that those there were going to be some big bags of fork. Let's just not act surprised. We expected the century mark. We expected big bags. We expected the possibility of scaring the all-time record or the single-day record. Something was going to get scared record-wise. Well, we had 11 anglers catch bags bigger than the biggest bag of the season. So Brian New caught 26-7 on the final day of the St. John's to win that event. That was the biggest bag of the season. And we had 11 anglers beat that this week at Fork. Uh, there were 74 bags over 20 pounds. The top 10 all averaged 20 pounds, which is what you want to see in a big event. Everybody at least getting 80 after four days. And, um, and then when it comes to other things, um, Walters and Livesey breaking the Century Club and, and hitting the mark the way they did. Walters being the ninth person ever to do it multiple times in a career and he's done it basically twice in six events, which is awesome. And, uh, and then Livesey, when he broke it, he jumped into 16th all time. There've been 46 times that the century mark has been broken and he's 16th with his weight of one twelve five. Um, and, and I told Mercer this, the real difference in Cobb and, and Livesey, uh, century marks Cobbs was about a week later, uh, time of year wise. And, the only difference in their weights was that Cobb had an 11-1 and Livesey had a 9-2. Their biggest fish of the week, that was just the difference in their total weight was the difference in their biggest bass. And so I think that's something to notice that it wasn't like a letdown. It was just one, one double-digit bite from being totally different. Um, I also looked at some other things. There was like 189 fish that were five pounds or more. Uh, five pounds or bigger, 189 of them. I don't think that, uh, yeah, I don't think I've caught like 189, like three pounders in my life. And they caught five, five, or they caught five pounders. They caught 189 of them in four days of the event. So some crazy numbers there. But one thing I want to, I want to, I want you to talk about. We knew it on live. I mean, it sounded like the boats were right beside Lee Livesey when they would celebrate and erupt with foghorns or, or just cheering it sounded like they were right there. And then Wes Miller would fly the drone and they were, I mean, they were a hundred yards away. And so they were giving him room, but there was one of the biggest flotillas we'll see on the elite series following him because he's the hometown local boy. 
what was it like covering the leader with the local guy with that crowd behind him all with an earshot patrick walters was just down the 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 cove across the cove from him hearing a roaring crowd like at the masters they're at the 16th hole and you're trying to putt on the 15th hole to, to make birdie or to make par. And they're erupting on that green because someone just did something. And now you're thinking about, I got to make this putt because something crazy just happened. Like that's exactly the analogy to fit what was going on. Jim Sexton used that exact same analogy to me this morning, asking me about it. Um, that's and I you and I, no, oh, okay. That makes sense. You guys were on the same page, um, but you and I have obviously talked about it yesterday, but, it was insane. I made a comment to my boat driver. I said, outside of like the classic, you'll never see this like anywhere else. I mean, like it was incredible. I obviously started with card that morning. We were fishing. We, I keep saying we, I mean, I'm just like attachment hey, to him. Of, when of you course. cover a guy for more than two days, it is we. I yeah, no doubt. Lefebvre and I lost at Wheeler to Takahiro because we were invested. I covered yeah. Chris Lane at Toledo against Kevin Van Dam with the Whopper Plopper. And I lost that event because our guy didn't win. We were assigned to him and, and it just didn't work out. But it's a team point. It, right. <laughs> so what was crazy is, is we were fishing. I'll say it again. I just said it again. Like an idiot. Over a mile away from where Livesey was to start with. And I did it on my Navionics app. So I know it was about uh, at least over a mile. Sponsor plug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not sponsored. Um, but, uh, um what was crazy is you could hear them when he caught those big fish to early on, you could hear them as plain as day from that far away. I mean, plain as day to the point that the first fish that he caught, you could hear them. And me and my boat driver just look at each other. And we're like, Holy cow. I cannot believe we're hearing this from that far away because we passed them on the way getting there. So then he catches what I presume at the time was the nine two and it was so loud you could have – I mean, you could have heard it from Dallas how loud it was. So to, to sit there and watch Brandon Card hear that, it was insane. You couldn't imagine Chloe's barking. Hey, Dave, um, she is about as loud as that crowd was. You couldn't imagine a louder um, circumstance for him to endure on the final day when at the time, which was crazy, he's the leader and we're the only boat following him. So it was, it was such a unique situation that, like, I, I blogged about it and said that that was, like, honestly an advantage, a huge advantage for Livesey because without, you know, Brandon Card was so early on in the day, and I'm not going to say he was spun out, but you know for a fact that had something to do with his, like, mental game. There's no doubt because the second time it happened, his exact words to us were, Livesey must have caught another big one. So you don't think he knows what was going on when that was happening? Like, he clearly knows. He's so, I mean, like, by the marshal either. It's oh, just right. Pure. Right. He just knows. I mean, because you know who's in the area. Um, and it was just, it was insane. Um, and then fast forward, he goes around the corner to the spot that I call the Keith Combs spot. Um, and all three of them, Card, Walters, and Livesey, are fishing with inside of each other. I could do a 360 around the boat and I could see all of them. When Walters catches the nine pounder, <laughs> He only had a flotilla of probably six or seven, yeah, which, you know, you know, it's still good. It was insane. It was almost like a high school football game is what I said. Like you've got the home crowd over here and you've got the visiting crowd over here. And when he catches that nine pounder, they weren't, they didn't have the numbers, but they were almost just as loud 
yelling to the point that I turned around and I was like, this is insane. Like the fact that this is happening, they're literally within sight of each other and they're just trading blow for blow and just watching it. And then like, you've got just the worst case scenario for the leader sitting there watching these two guys smash them with these giant crowds and just know that like, know that they're doing it, you know, and and you know, that changes the way he fishes, you know, that changes his mindset, you know, it makes him feel like he's got to do more, which obviously he did. Um, But it was just insane that, you know, he had to deal with that literally within the first hour of the tournament. Well, and so like, so Livesey by eight 30 Livesey, I keep, I keep shortening his name a little bit, but Livesey, at 8.30, so an hour and 45 minutes after they left the dock, had over 30 pounds and broke the century mark. At that point on Bassmaster Live, Brandon Card still had 77 what he started the day with. And I was like, you went into the day having a seven-pound lead over this guy, and he now has a 30-pound <laughs> lead on you. Oh, my gosh. But then I, tur- I kind of transitioned my thoughts. And even at the end of the day, now that we know how it played out, Carr didn't lose at Lake Fork. He got beat. And that's that needs to be said because he needed 35 pounds. So at the time, so what he needed, he needed the biggest bag of the event up to the final day. 33-3 was the biggest bag of the event. He needed more than the biggest bag of the event on the final day just to not lose his lead. That is how good Lee Livesey caught him. Like, I mean – that's what you want. He had a three pound lead over second and a seven pound lead over fifth. That is what you want. And at Lake Fork, it is nothing. And so that is incredible, but it needs to be said. Brandon Carr did not lose that event. He caught 20 pounds on the final day. And that's, that was his off day. And he lost by what he had 97. He, he lost by nine or he lost by 15 pounds and change that's just you can't you can't fight that you have to have a career day and catch the biggest bag of your life just to not lose the lead you worked three days to get that's what's crazy is like you you saying that always anytime that train of thought comes to mind it always makes me think of the jason christie classic at tulsa uh edwin evers obviously won and that's the same principle it's like you know he he dominates the tournament for two days leading into the last day and it's like you can live easy, you can rest easy with it, knowing that you didn't, you know, you didn't lose it. You just got beat. Um, and it doesn't make it suck any less, but like it's just like, you know what, you did like ultimately what you expected to do or needed to do, and you still got beat. Like somebody has a career day like that, it just happens. There's not really much you can do about it. Especially on fork when you catch you catch that big of a bag, it's like like you said, what you would have had to have had just to be, you know, neck and neck with him. It's like you wouldn't have expected that to happen anyways. So it's like, it's crazy. Yeah. It changes from shame on me to kudos on you. Yeah. Good. Well done. And speaking of that, it wasn't just like a career day. It was a Bassmaster day. And the third biggest single day bag in Bassmaster history that is incredible. For the five fish era, I'm going to always say that because there was probably a time someone caught 50 pounds, but they had 27 fish in their limit. So whatever. But five fish limit, 42-3, the second biggest bag on camera in history and the, the third biggest overall. I mean, good golly, that is incredible. Final day. When he asked Holly Keene, his marshal and judge, 
hey holly what's my what smallest do fish I have and what's my smallest fish and she said your smallest fish is seven six and you have 42 three he's like i don't even know what to do i don't know where to go <laughs> to catch a seven seven nicole and i was like the thought of hey i said on live why don't you stay and just catch a ten and a half and break the all-time record right now like he was that close i don't know if we'll ever see another bag that close on the final day we may see someone break 45 on day one of an event but to do it on the final day in front of that many boats on your home lake and everything come to fruition like that incredible and to do it i want to say i'm going to pull two lures up because i don't have the exact one he has it with me but to do it on a top water lure is incredible and so he was using the saltwater super spook and he didn't have a feathered treble in the back, which is something that like, I don't know, it's law. Like it's almost, it's religious law. You have to have a feather on the back of your topwater walking bait because that's, that's just what you do. So for him to throw a bait this size and catch 42 pounds on it, he did catch one on a rising sun, soft plastic, you know, swim bait. What a day. I would, I, I told my dad that night, I said, I would rather watch Lee Livesey catch 42 pounds on top water on Bassmaster Live than me go out and catch 25 on Wachita. Like a 25 pound bag, I would be thrilled. And I had more fun watching him catch 42 pounds. It's insane. It's insane. I mean, when you think about it, like, like you were saying, I mean, that's just a, it's a piece of Bassmaster history. I mean, you'll, you'll remember that forever. Um, and you know, to be able to enjoy it on live as where, you know, some of the previous giant bags, you, we didn't have live. Um, I mean, it's just incredible that everybody got to experience that as it was happening. I mean, that's just kind of the, the joy of Bassmaster live and how, you know, lucky we all are to have it. But, uh, I mean, it was, it was, it was honestly kind of a bummer for me and I granted I can go back and watch it, but you, you'll know what I mean on this. When you're on the water covering it, you get so tunnel vision to like what you're doing and trying to do your job and watch your guy and you know, try to tell the story the best you can that like you almost like you're almost upset that you didn't get to see all of it transpire on live granted i got to see a lot of it in person whether or not i you know you know uh would have wanted to not obviously i wanted to but i didn't want brandon card to have to watch it too um but yeah i mean it was it was incredible and i can't wait to watch the uh peak performance and some of the the post stuff just because i i can't wait to see that entire day i mean i've seen some of the clips and stuff but uh but i mean just what a what a performance and you know it couldn't have happened to a better guy i think we can both agree to and uh you know that that's what you you can't say enough about lee livesey in that area it's not like they're just fans of lee livesey that's just like an extension of his family Family, like those people are his family like i mean it was insane i put a snapchat video on my story of the amount of people that literally walked behind the stage where they probably shouldn't have been, but nobody stopped them to sit, <laughs> to, to sit at like the bank waiting for him to get off the boat. I mean, it just like, it speaks volume. I mean, you could, you could put other guys on their home lakes um, in certain areas and, you know, they'd have a huge following and a lot of fans, but like that was like a win for Lake Fork. You know, if that makes sense, all the people, minnow bucket, all everything that is like Lee Livesey, like it was a win for everyone. And you could tell that that day it was it was electric. It really was. So the fact that that many people showed up to weigh in to see like three fish get held up because they were overs, that is another deal as well. If they show up to the classic to see all the five fish and see those things, that's one thing. 
They showed sure. up knowing they would not see fish except for one big one per guy maximum. They showed up for him, and it made me laugh, but uh, executive producer Michael Middleton was in my ear on Bassmaster Live and said, hey, remember that, that bar clip of the crowd going nuts? He said, do you still have it, and can we, you, can we figure out a way to make it work? And I said, yes, I got it, and I'm going to go get it to my man Kevin. My man Kevin plugs in the footage because we had already done this with Lee Livesey's dock catch. Lee Livesey having that outstretch underneath the dock, and then right when he grabs it, the crowd goes nuts, and and it's the bar erupts and it's hilarious. So I had it, I found it, I gave it to Kevin. Kevin worked his magic, and right when live ended, we posted it, saying that because Lee Livesey said, "Man, everybody at the Minnow Bucket having a good time watching this is going to be awesome." And if you've ever been to Lake Fork in the Minnow Bucket. It is a place that you stay, like it's got rooms available and it's a restaurant and it's a little tackle shop and in no way is a big bar. And the fact that we fooled that many people online that thought it was real and, and, and we didn't just, they didn't think it was real or they thought it was real, but it wasn't just because Bassmaster never tells a lie or something. It's because that is the way in, internally every single fan felt watching lee livesey catch those fish that it was like oh my gosh he's got him on top water and he's fighting him and it's it's mouths open and, and he grabs it and he pulls it in and we're like i'm not rooting for anybody on the final day but i'm just like rooting for more seven pounders to get caught <laughs> the fact that he was doing that and it was so believable that a crowd of people would gather to watch it that was basically his whole flotilla if they were in a bar watching the tv yeah and, no kidding and we fooled so many people on that and, and i'm sorry if if you're super holy and you're not about lying and it's a sin, I, I get it. I go to church every week and I believe it, but this was purely a joke. And it was one of the funniest things ever to see people like, man, I went to the middle bucket a decade ago. They must have re, revamped, <laughs> re, revamped it and done some renovations because that was the most iconic clip ever. And, and unbelievable. Well, as I say, let's be honest. When whenever that was posted, we didn't think that that many people would believe it either. I don't think anybody. I mean, I, I obviously was one of the first people to see the clip after you guys made it because we sent it, um, you know, in one of our, our group chats basically before we posted it. Never once watching that did I think to myself, "Wow, like forty percent of the people are going to believe this." I don't think that was the intention, but to see people believe it just really, like you said, kind of shows you how much like love and respect people have for Livesey that that's believable there's not a bar in uh emory alba equipment there's not a bar anywhere there that's close to that big i don't think but um you know for people to believe that really speaks volumes on lee Livesey. what's funny was uh he lee told me the next morning he like messaged me on instagram or something or he reposted a story so i knew he was on his phone and i was like wow he's got a free moment to be on his phone that's crazy so i called him and was like congrats man whatever you know all that stuff and he's like man i woke up at 4 45 and rolled down to the minute bucket to get a cup of coffee and uh there was this old timer there and we were just chatting and he's like man i was watching some clips on facebook and i saw the minnow bucket was just super hyped and he's sitting in the minnow bucket and he was like took me a while to realize that it wasn't the actual minnow bucket. I don't know where they took that video at. So that's the funniest thing ever, but it's honestly, it's a vibe. It's, it's a Bassmaster live vibe. If you were watching it, then you were, I, I mean, I was tweeting things that you could put them with any context. I was like, what are we watching? This is unreal. Like what planet is Lee Livesey on? 
the fact that it was working out the way it was, but it that was the most fun. I mean, honestly, I don't know how to describe it. There's very, we try to remember the awesome Bassmaster lives, but like Champlain final day, last hour and a half was awesome because there were five lead changes between fighter Mullins, Krieger, uh, Polinick eventually winning the event and, and somebody else, you know, like there's so many lead changes that it was awesome just double the size of the fish and put them on top water on the final day with a flotilla like that. I mean, it's so believable. The whole town of Longview was going to hang whoever won that was not Lee Livesey because they thought he was going to win and they wanted him to win. No doubt. Yeah, it was, it was really wild to see. And like you said, I think the best way you can put it is, uh, is like, that's definitely going to be remembered forever. And uh, something that Mark Jonas said, I didn't get to watch live for the in- entirety, obviously, like I mentioned, but um, there towards the end of the day when I was editing a photo gallery, I was listening and he said this and it was so true because you can't say this about a lot of guys, but he was like, <laughs> you hear a lot of guys talk about like going for it on the final day, like going for broke. And Mark Zona says, this guy does that. And that's so true because that's literally just his mentality. I mean, like, just outside of this tournament, I mean, he's just fearless in, in moments like these, which, you know, sometimes will cost you. Last year, he didn't have a great season. Um, but, like, it's incredible because the guy really does fish fearless, and you can just tell the way he operates and the way he does things. I mean, he's not scared to do anything. He's not – he's never, like, timid. And, you know, that's uh, that says a lot about a guy, you know, when you're not fishing scared, you're not fishing like, you you know, you're – and I say scared. Nobody fishes scared necessarily, but more – more timid because yeah yeah no doubt and i mean to to watch livesey do his thing um on his home lake where he's one of the best fishermen there is on the lake throwing big baits doing those things i mean it was it was incredible to watch from what i got to see and like i said i can't wait to watch uh the more in-depth like peak performance and things like that it's just gonna be d wayne from alabama the zona references is gonna enjoy it because it's just gonna be six pounder seven pounder yeah nine pounder eight pounder so uh, what an incredible thing. And, and yeah, his two wins, obviously he's going to be much more relaxed. Now winning a hundred grand last fall helps him bank account wise to not have to worry. Not like he was worried anyways, right. uh, financially being probably one of the best guides in all of Texas and most enjoyable, you know, fishermen to be with probably not a slight to anybody else, but just uh, we mentioned it on live. He's going to be able to do like a thousand dollar guide trip for two hours. He's not going to have a single day that he doesn't, if he wants a guide trip, he's got a guide trip, you know? And so that cements it even more that, Hey, I'm a Bassmaster Elite Series pro. I guide this lake and I know this lake and man, he, uh, what did he do? He missed the cut barely by a few spots. I think he was 37th and 35 was the cut or he's 42nd and, and 40th was the cut. The first time we were here, the last year he gets in the top 10. Combs was right there as well, but man, they weren't as post-spawn as they needed to be for us to really factor in Combs. And we said it, we said it in our preview picks. Neither one of us picked Combs. I didn't want to disrespect him by not picking him, but it just wasn't his time. End of May, he's going to be 65%. In April, it's so hard because they're not doing what he is the best at. And we'll see if we get to go to fork later in the year or a different time. And, And I love that Lee Livesey said, Man, they're not even – Fork isn't – this isn't even a good time to fish uh, Fork. And he had like 20 – he had like 30, 31 pounds that day he said that or something. And I'm like, not even a good day to – not even a good week to – what are you talking about? But that's just because of how easy it can be at certain times. And so 
uh, wrapping it up a little bit. It was just an incredible week. Lee Livesey knocking it out of the park on the final day. Patrick Walters, kudos to him. Uh, he busted up his knees and his ankle. He was he was leaving it all out on the line. He tripped and fell on Bass Live with a four and a half in his hands and had to ice his ankle that night at my house. It was the most hilarious thing ever watching it back. But Fork was funny. Great, you know. Funny story for you before we before we get too it's off it. off path. So you and I had talked about this yesterday, but um, Louis Livesey is one of those guys that ever since he came over, I, I say obviously both of us and the biggest assist to you, you that we've been super close to and he's just really one of the most likable guys you could ever imagine and after i talked to him right after he won gave him a hug whatever and then didn't really get to say much because he was just getting swarmed and then he was putting the about to put the boat back on the trailer and he runs over and we give you know we hug again and we start talking and i said dude that's insane like it was just an insane day um you know just ask him i said i said like comparatively like is that one of the bigger bags you've ever caught out here and he oh, you know just ask him and, and didn't think it was, but he just like almost scoffed at me and was like, like oh, no, he's like, I've got 48, 49, like, you know, close to 50. I was like, like, just casually, like, as if like, as if I was like a, it was like a disrespect that I asked him if that's like one of the biggest bags he's ever caught out there. He's like, for this time of year, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty good. But he's like, no, I've got 48, 49, like close to 50. It's like, what? <laughs> 50? Do you know what a 50 pound average is? That's a 10 pound average. That's a 10 pounder. Like that's ridiculous. That's calling out his seven six and seven fourteen with a ten pounder, and he gets fifty. That's crazy. Nuts. But anyways, yeah. So I had to tell that story because when you said that he mentioned that, that's basically what he acted like to me when I asked him if that's one of the biggest bags he's ever caught. He's like, man. man. <laughs> What's awesome. Last thing is that I I drove down to Lake Fork last year and shot some footage of him. Uh, you know, we did some tackle tips. We were right there across the bridge from the minnow bucket, and, and we were sitting there with like a vacant point, and we just pulled around there, and the background was the lake, and we, we did it up. And then we went and had lunch at the minnow bucket, and then we drove, I drove home. And he was getting stopped in the parking lot, not in his jersey, just walking, and he was just like, what's up, man? Yeah, blah, blah, blah. When's your next tournament? You know, and all the old timers in the in the minnow bucket were like, hey, when are you leaving for the road again? I watch all your events now. And they're all talking to him. I cannot imagine the feeling, two feelings. One, I'm a crier. So when, when I think about and I put myself in the moment of some of these guys, I'm like going to throw my shoulder out fist pumping and then like cry because it means that much to you. You work your whole life for something. And to see Lee Livesey idle through his flotilla late in the day with about an hour and a half left and start to cry because of how many people were there, what he had done with his limit and that he was about to accomplish on his home lake. That's incredible. And I cannot imagine what it's like now doing it in front of your home fans, being able to see them that night, your friends and family. And then now every morning after that, that you get to live in the glory of that, not get complacent, but just have the support. He's going to see someone different every single day when he's in town. That's going to be like, dude, you, you gave me the, the motivation to try to, to try to get out there and throw a big bait that I've never done. You, you given me, I, I came from Ohio to fish Lake fork because of you, you know, like, how cool it must be to be Lee Livesey winning on your home lake like that when it's so hard to win on your home lake in an elite series event. No doubt. And uh, I actually said that to him after day two, um, he walked by like fish pumped. And I said, 
I said, yeah, not bad for your third time here because on Instagram earlier that week, uh, he had, you know, did a preview or whatever, like, you know, basically uh, promoting the event. And I said, I asked him sarcastically if this was his first time fishing the lake. And he said third. And then when he walked away, I think I'm almost certain he thought that I was being giving him a hard time for this being his third time here. And it's like his first chance to really win. And I like, he started walking away. I was like, boy, I really hope he didn't take that the wrong way because I didn't mean it like that. But yeah, I mean, like you said, if there's, there's no person that was more disappointed the last two fork events than him, because I mean, without a doubt, he's one of the best fishermen on the lake outside of the elite series, just the best fishermen on the lake. Um, you know, and, and last year, uh, obviously didn't have a bad performance, but like, you know, he expects to win when he puts his boat in the water and, and fishes the tournament there, especially against a bunch of guys that, you know, have significantly less experience than he does. And like you said, watching everybody interact with him and, um, you know, that flotilla and everything, I mean, that will be ingrained in his mind forever. And I think for Bassmaster fans, we'll remember that forever because it really was such a special moment. And for that town, I don't think people realize how big of a fishing community and town that is and how much Lee Livesey means to all of that. I mean, you can tell just watching people interact with him that he's probably never talked to, but it's just like, he is like, he's like a superhero to a lot of those people. And it, I mean, it's true. Yeah. It's like uh, when I went to college at East Carolina, I said Greenville, North Carolina would not be a city here if it wasn't for the, the college, the college brings in so much money. It, be, it can be a thriving city all of those cities around and towns, not even cities, towns around Lake Fork would not be civilization, would not be towns if it wasn't for the lake. And so true no it is, if you've never fished at Lake Fork, but you live in that city, you owe a lot of your livelihood to what the lake brings to the state, the country, uh, that region, because the lake brings in a lot of money from people traveling to go there and to see all of his hard work and days on the water. I mean, you should have just walked up to him at the final takeoff and said, Hey Lee, you're going to run out of spots today or your spots drying that, you know, you don't have enough spots to go to or like what, and, and see what he said, because I guarantee you he's fished every inch of that Lake. And so, you know, he's gone through his head a million times doubting or not doubting where he needed to go, what he needed to do. And on the, on the final day and on day three, he made the right decisions to not only come back, but to, to come back and blow it away. No doubt. And that's uh. It was really funny that morning. Now, granted, I've, I've not even advertised this a whole lot because it wasn't going out on a limb by any means. But I was sitting there talking with our photographer and uh, we're both about to leave. I kind of forgot who uh, who he was covering. I looked at him and I said, a really bad feeling that Lee Lewis is going to have a huge day and win today. Just because you knew going into the last day, if there was anybody that had something up their sleeve, be. And it, obviously, Lee Lewis. See, that's why I said, like, it's not going out on a limb. No, but no. to see it, looking at Bass Track, and I text Shane, I, I said, I don't want to say I called it, but I called it. Because, I mean, you knew at that point, it was like he wasn't going to slow down. Like, he was going to he was gonna shut the door as quick as he could on that tournament. Yeah, I, I honestly thought that. It was going to be third through fifth. One of those guys, Zaldane, Walters, or Livesey. And, uh, I mean, Zaldane lost a six and maybe a seven-pounder. I don't know. And it still wouldn't have been enough. He had still lost. You know, he had been enough to break the century mark, but not even factor. And so, nobody lost the event. Ninety-eight guys did not lose the event. One guy won the event. And that's what we can classify. He stamped it. And thank goodness I picked him for Mercury Drain the Lake won't be able to pick him again but 
one one different thing. I'll add this right at the end. For Mercury Drain the Lake, if you pick the winner, you get double points. You get the points that you would get for a first place guy plus three hundred or three hundred more, basically. And he uh, him winning got you double points. The classic will get you triple points. And so, hey, for Mercury Drain the Lake, if you pick a guy and you can't use him the rest of the year, you might as well pick him when they win the event because that's the most you're using it to the best of your ability. And so that's my goal this year is to for my eight anglers each event to pick the winner out of my eight guys every time and, uh, and save. So it's going to be, I'll give, I'll give credit to you on this train of thought, but I hadn't given it enough thought, I guess, as far as my strategy. And the first time we got on, you know, the caster podcast and talked about drain the lake, that was one thing you said, you said, you have to look at an angler and I've done this for both tournaments and think, is this tournament their best chance to win all season? Because whatever tournament that, that is as much weight as winning the event carries, you know, with double points, you're not going to have a chance to compete if you don't pick the winner. So I, I, that's been my train of thought every time I pick my team. It's like, is this tournament this guy's best chance to win? And I think that's probably one of the most appropriate thoughts you can have. I think I went from 67% going into the weigh-in to 1,600 points to 85% and 1,900 points. And I'm exactly where I want to be because all the guys above me probably burned a lot of smallmouth guys. They burned the Johnstons. They burned a Felix. They burned a fighter. And uh, I did not. And I didn't burn Keith Combs either. I'm excited about that. He didn't have the greatest finish. He literally had 12 pounds for four fish, 24-pound limit, and 12 pounds for four fish. Mind blown that two of three days well, Combs didn't catch well, up. While we're doing this, what you just said, I almost sent this to you via Snapchat today or just anything. You know, I was going to send it to you via text. So I did the wrap-up story for fantasy like I do the day or two after um, every single event. And I, I mentioned the winning drain the lake roster. And I read that roster and I thought to myself, boy, did you, did you ruin, not ruin, you won the tournament, but did you use a lot of picks that I probably would have saved? Sure. Let me just, let me just read you this list. Okay. Wait, what's this? Brandon was Paul. It, was it Monger CB? Uh, Brad 705. Okay. For Brad. drain the lake. Yeah. Okay. So. You have Brandon Polnick, Chris Saldane, Seth Fighter, Brandon Cobb, Drew Cook, Chris Johnston, Lee Livesey, Patrick Walters. Oh, my God. He doesn't have anybody left. Who's he going <laughs> Who are you going to pick for the classic? <laughs> I know. I don't even like I, – I, it was just so funny to me because I was like, you know what? It was like, you know what? That's great. He won, so you can't bash him. He, he whooped my butt. He whooped yours. But at the same point, I'm looking at that and thinking, man, for the longevity of the season, that's a lot of heavy hitters that are gone. Oh. I'll, I'll let him see this event because I'm going to spank him about six more times the rest of the year. That's for sure. <laughs> I thought you'd get a, a good kick out of that. Congrats to him, obviously, being the first ever winner. That's awesome. Uh, but I saw that. I just I literally laughed out loud because I was like, man, like as good of a team as he picked, those are a lot of guys that are going to factor for the rest of the year, too. Hey, enjoy it while it lasts because it, it just ended and it just lasted. Yeah. But I appreciate you joining me. That's that's incredible. We'll have to talk about that in the preview for Neely Henry. And uh, no pressure, Neely Henry. You only got to follow up the final day of uh, Lee Livesey catching 42 on fork. That's what you got to live up to uh, on day one of Bassmaster Live. Appreciate you joining me, Kyle, and I will uh, I will talk to you soon, man. 
Absolutely. Enjoyed it. As hey. Looking forward to the next show. Are you going to Neely Henry in Gunnersville or what? I'll be at both of those events as far as I know. Um, I'll vote since it's not too far from here. That's something I mentioned today. I'm really looking forward to Neely my adopted new home lakes. Uh, so getting to see that tournament is actually going to be really interesting for me. And I've actually been looking forward to this one for a while. It might not be fork as far as weights go, but it'll be interesting, no doubt. I don't want to make fun of this guy, but he said, hey, I sent my, I set my Neely Henry lineup and I just posted it. Check it out. And so I approved his post and his winning weight for Neely was 85 pounds. So I think he's still stuck on Lake Fork because I do not think it's going to take 21 and a half a day at Neely. But what do you think? Uh, we'll just think about that the next couple of days. We're going to do the preview and we'll get into that. But I think it should be still a solid event, a different event. Spotted bass, largemouth, river fishing, Coosa River. I'm excited for it, whether it's tough or not. But Kyle, appreciate you joining me. I'll see you on the next one in just a couple of days. Outstanding.